What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley, and with me as always, hell, I don't know. He's a loser, just like I'm a loser. Uh, he's the Ron Weasley to my Harry Potter. I was forced to watch that movie with my daughter last night, so forgive the reference. Uh, he is Chuck Holmes, and partner, I know the answer, but... How we feeling on this cold, dreary, windy Sunday morning? It's a it's a surreal feeling. Uh, the coffee's not helping this this week. Maybe if I while you're speaking or when we take a break, maybe I'll run down, throw a little bourbon in it, see if that can't can't get us through this day. But a a sad day in uh, Whoville and a sad day in Buckeyeville as well. And, uh, you know, we're here for some therapy and to get through this. Yeah, sad day, bad day. Shout out to Jersey Jerry. Um, this is shaping up to be like a root canal mixed with a colonoscopy, mixed with a swift kick in the nuts. I cannot promise our best material, but... Like we've said in the past, we're professionals. We're here, rain or shine, and we've got a job to do. So, Chuck, I don't think today warrants much of a an intro. Like normally, we'll sit here, we'll banter about, oh, what happened in college football? Oh my gosh, that crazy Alabama ending, and you know, yeah, nobody di- cares. Screw Alabama. Under different circumstances. Uh, things like that are noteworthy, but we are here today to pretty much recap Ohio State's third consecutive loss to Michigan in the game. Uh, we're going to have a lot of Ryan Day talk, probably some Jim Knowles talk, sprinkle in some some K-Mac talk, but let's just, Chuck, overall theme, general feeling, general, you know, how what would when I ask you how you're feeling or how you were feeling after yesterday's game, one or two words like what immediately comes to mind for you? Uh, to me, it was a a player's loss, and I know okay. we're going to talk uh, ad nauseum about the coaching staffs, and I don't disagree with a lot of the stuff you're going to bring up, but for me, the players did not perform at the level they were capable of, and they lost because of it. Player's loss is a good way to look at it. I, Mine's more just sort of like emotional and internal. It's disappointed and surprised. Like I, I was actually confident going into that game because, you know, you look at the, the quote-unquote stars – and I was like, man, you know, Travion Henderson, healthy. Marvin Harrison Jr., alien. Emeka Ibuka looks back to himself. And I was like, the offense is going to make plays. Can the defense get stops? And, again, we'll talk about it. But you look at just the stats, right? Michigan ran for four yards a carry. Blake Corum was 4.0. Donovan Edwards was 3.1. J.J. McCarthy had one 
pretty, you know, it, it was an important scramble at the time, but only four for 17. Then McCarthy passing the ball, 16 for 20, very efficient, but only 148 yards. Like, in a sense, Ohio State's defense did what it had done all year, limit the big plays, bend but don't break. But the 30 points don't look great. I know they were gifted seven. But I just, like, man, I felt good going in. And now, now I'm sort of gutted because even even looking back, I think Ohio State's the better team. I, I don't want to come across as a sore loser, sour grapes, whatever. I think Ohio State is the better team. But I think they got outplayed and outcoached yesterday by the guys that needed to coach that needed to step up Sharon Moore for Michigan stepped up he called a good game he went for it on fourth down three times um Jesse Minter did enough I guess the run game the run defense for Michigan was very good and then JJ McCarthy was better than Kyle McCord Blake Corum slightly better than Travion Henderson wide receivers I don't care about like Marv was great, but it's just a bummer, man. And, and I really thought that Ohio State was the better team going in. I still feel like that in a sense. But before we talk position groups, this and the other, you said this was a player-driven loss. And I, I agree with you in a sense, but I also sort of disagree. And that's rare for me. You know, I, I'm the Ryan Day guy. I'm the Jim Knowles guy, but I want to let you start just as far as where to where we're going to cut up the blame pie in a sense. Why do you feel so strongly that this, that this was a player-driven loss? There were multiple plays in this game that if these guys are who they have been said to be, can't happen. And it started on the first drive. And it, you could go almost every drive, but the first drive and the last drive were both uh, perfect examples of it. The first drive, we've got uh, quote-unquote future first-round pick Emeka Abuka who drops an easy pass for a first down. Like, the ball hit him in his hands. You can't that, – that can't be a drop that happens in this game, right? We, and we see drops, two-handed drops all the time. Uh, these guys spend all their time practicing one-handers, and we see it on social media. Maybe they should throw the jugs gun out there and take some right at their their numbers a couple times. I'm just going to throw that crazy. Um, the pick from McCord was egregious. That was a really bad pick. And I'm going to put that a little bit on Marv, too, because that route, he has got to get inside that guy. And he did not fight to get inside him. Now, that being said, that pass can't be thrown. Period. End of story. Marvin yeah. getting inside of him just makes it an incomplete pass. It's not like it's going to actually be a completion. The other pick was not as bad, but if you look at Donovan Jackson, I know I'm, I'm jumping way ahead. We talked about it. Donovan Jackson, he just lives at Michigan Stadium now because he got buried underneath the field on that play. You can't that can't happen in that possession. Tommy and Sonny Styles missing tackles that were and it wasn't like they they, they were in the wrong position. How, how are we attacking guys at the wrong angle in a game this important? Uh, the the punt, how do you average 32 yards a punt? Stuff like that. Like that, that they flip fields that the Buckeyes didn't flip fields. Stuff like that. Like these are all plays that championship level division one teams 
make. And we can argue about the coaching and all those levels. And a lot of those are, are probably because they haven't been coached to this point. But a lot of them weren't. They just didn't handle the pressure of yesterday's game, in my opinion. And those mis- miscues cost them in the end. I mean, any one of those could have stopped a score or led to a score. And all, all of a sudden, the game's flipped. Yeah, actually, you know, I agree with all of that. I We'll get to the players and... It's worth noting that the PFF grades for a lot of Buckeyes were just dreadful yesterday. So I'm I'm with you. Several of these guys didn't execute or play as well as they could have, should have, in order to win. Where I sort of assign blame to the coaches for this one, you know, it it just sort of seemed like Ohio State, Ryan Day, Jim Knowles, they went into this game as if talent alone was going to dictate the outcome. I, I love that they were, in a, a sense, confident in their team. And look, like I, I think talent could have driven the outcome, but relying on talent and execution discounts emotion, playing on the road, turnovers, special teams, things like that. Like, it was just so vanilla. And I know that vanilla had maybe gotten them through 11 games undefeated, but it was going to take something extra yesterday. After, like, you know, a couple of drives, I felt that way. I was like, uh, I, I still think Ohio State's the better team, but we're a couple drives into this, and now it's seven nothing, whatever it is. It's just like Hey, they they acted like this was a Brady Hoke level talented team that they were playing against and it wasn't. Would you agree yes. with that? They thought they could just out talent them. Even if you say and you're the one that thinks they have more talent, it it's there's not a gap. <laughs> Michigan's right below them if they are more talented. So but they thought that this was six and five and six Michigan as opposed to eleven and zero Michigan. Yeah. And I, I don't think it was conscious necessarily and I I don't want to I don't think that Ryan Day and Jim Knowles have that level of hubris I don't think that they disrespected Michigan but yeah like that they thought they would just roll the ball out and win and like I said it's, it's great to have confidence in your team and be somewhat pleased with the results that you had seen through 11 games but you and I know and, and they know they still had question marks Right? What are we going to do against a team that can run the ball ad nauseum? Uh, a team that loves to throw the ball to the tight ends. A quarterback that is probably not going to piss down his leg. And he didn't. Right? To his credit, J.J. McCarthy played very well. Did what he needed to do. A defense that is as good or better than the Penn State defense that you put up a you know a couple points on. It just... They rested on their laurels, it seemed like. And again, I don't want to say that that was a conscious decision. There's no way in hell Ryan Day, even in his own mind, was like, well, we're just better. We're going to go out there and win. But when it came time to dial something up, to do something different, to elevate the guys on the field, like it wasn't there. You talk about Michigan going for it on fourth down three times. Same drive, right? Ryan Day had those opportunities. I 
I agree with the first decision not to go for it. You know, you're on your side of the field. It's early. You don't want to hand over, like willingly hand over momentum that easily. Okay, I get that. And then even before halftime at the time, I was like, you know, I don't hate it, I guess. But we're allowed to do revisionist history because we're not involved in the game. We're talking about it after the fact. Ohio State needed a spark at that point. Like, you could argue that momentum was sort of in the middle at that point. Ohio State had an opportunity to potentially seize it. They knew that Michigan was going to get the ball after halftime. And Ryan Day was content to take a field goal attempt. And, you know, it sort of sucks. Jaden Fielding, he hit the first one, the practice kick, right? And then he just sort of slightly pulled the one that counted, and he had plenty of leg, but... He, Ryan Day, was content to let the results play out. He did not take the fight to a couple of interim coaches. Like, I'm lumping in Jesse Minter here. Ryan Day didn't take the fight to Sean Moore and Jesse Minter. Jim Knowles did not take the fight to Sharon Moore. They were content to... Uh, out-strategy them, out-think them, and it never really happened. And normally, when you think, oh, they, they out-thought themselves or they got in their own head, you can point to mistakes. Ohio State just didn't take chances. And that is ultimately, I think, what cost them. Now, maybe we just need to look at it and say the blame is 50-50 here, and maybe that's fair. But I was just really disappointed in the coaches not having more of an impact on the game. Like, they just let the players determine the outcome. And to your point, if there's a gap, probably win nine times out of ten. But if it's closer, and we can at least argue that it's close, or at least agree that it's close, then you need to be the difference and Ohio State coaches weren't the difference yesterday yeah the one thing I was really hoping they would be able to do the one thing that Jim Harbaugh could offer as a head coach one one is that he's always he's been there he's there's nothing he hasn't seen on a football sideline and he could be that sounding board for those guys and be that guy that can kind of manage his his coordinators. Without him, you would have hoped that they could have kind of made those guys uh, squirm a little bit and see things they hadn't seen and make them start thinking about it. Think about Sharon Moore. If he, as the head coach, was like neck deep in his playbook because Jim Knowles had just showed three looks that he hadn't seen before – Maybe he's missing something when the defense is on the field and can't make a critical help make a critical call because the head coach is busy. So that part of it that they didn't make those guys kind of their heads kind of spin was was disappointing. I want to jump in there because Sharon Moore made Jim Knowles squirm like that. When you 100%. bring that up, I think of bringing in the backup quarterback who nobody had even seen all year and. What do you think was going to happen? Like, did you think his last name's Orgy, right? Like, I'm not mispronouncing it. 
did you think Orgy Blue Monday was going to come in and start throwing the ball around? And, like, it worked. And then they had the halfback pass, the running back pass for Donovan Edwards. Ohio State did none of the exotic stuff. They brought out none of the surprises. And, like, I, I don't want to steal your thunder. I'm going to turn it back over to you, but... Ryan Day is the offensive genius, right? And I have defended his play calling to the ends of the earth. Where, what'd you do yesterday, man? Like, like what was special in the game that you needed to win? I know it's not a playoff game, but you know you needed to win this game. You know that your heart and your your players' hearts, like it was gonna ache if you did not win this game. You dialed up jack shit, man. Like. How do you not get the ball in the hands of Marvin Harrison Jr. more? How do you not get it into Ibuka's hands more? I know he had a drop. Like, I get that. But if they are arguably two of the best wide receivers in the country and the running game is eh, which you probably should have been prepared for, you got to scheme it to guys. And you have to come up with the ways to bail out your quarterback, especially if your quarterback isn't, you know, making the best decision. Maybe he's got a little bit of stage fright. Ryan Day, really, in my opinion, and I defend the guy so often, he brought nothing to the table yesterday, in my opinion. But I I feel like I stole your thunder there. It's like he was, uh, you almost felt like he was an old uh, Michigan defensive coordinator from the end of the Lloyd Carr era or during Brady Hoke that just brought... No, it was just vanilla. This is who we are. We're not changing anything. It almost feels like the roles have been reversed yep. in the rivalry with the coaches because you would think, even though Harbaugh has gone back to his roots of like downhill running and power offense, they still have the creativity with that that Ohio State used to have with Urban. And, and, Ryan Day has frequently uh, with his play calling. So that part of it is 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 kind of fascinating. And it's it's not a good look for Ohio State that they've kind of lost their way. And Michigan has found their footing because now Michigan is even more empowered than they've ever been with this win. There's nothing you can tell a Michigan football player, staffer, coach. Uh, that would uh, allow them to think for one second that they're not the premier program in the Big Ten. And frankly, I don't disagree with them anymore. You know, two wins was uh, whatever, man. Like, eventually, this is this is going to slide back to what we know to be true. But this one, without Harbaugh there, kind of put in perspective that their infrastructure right now might be the best in college football. Because let's be honest, if Ryan Day's not on that sideline, <laughs> Ohio State's not in this game. Uh, whether we like what he did or not, they don't can't do what they did without him. Uh, and frankly, I don't know anybody else that could uh, in, in the country handle business like they handled yesterday without their head coach. So that part of it is really concerning going forward because that's not – I don't believe that's something you fix – in a couple months. And as a uh, hater of Michigan, it's not something that probably will come crashing down in a couple of months. Think about all they've gone through and they've withstood all of it. So even if Sharon Moore gets a head coaching job, I don't think it's going to matter 
unless it comes out next year um, really quick that there's way more to the the sign stealing stuff and they end up losing scholarships or something along those lines. But like we've talked about earlier, that's two years, three years away. Until then, they've got something set up to succeed for a while. I, I think this is where Jim Harbaugh needs to just walk away, though. You know, and I say this sort of in jest, but hey, I'm not messing with the NCAA and the Big Ten anymore. I'm going to take my ball and leave and go back to the NFL. Then the infrastructure might come crumbling down a little bit. But yeah, like Michigan won this game yesterday with, you know, J.J. McCarthy's probably a uh, day one, day two quarterback pick, right? Blake Corum's not as a running back. Um Donovan Edwards, maybe he regressed this year. Offensive line, you know, they've probably got an NFL guy or two up there. Maybe more, but I'm not like early, right? Ladarius Henderson, maybe. Um, skill position guys, like Colson Loveland's a great tight end, but I mean, Roman Wilson's a special teamer at best. And like, I'm not taking a shot at him because of his comments yesterday. Roman Wilson's a special teamer at best. Um, Cornelius Johnson. Maybe he's a guy. AJ Barner is a fifth year tight end that played it like Michigan doesn't have the special talent this year that they've even had in the past on defense. It's Will Johnson and a bunch of guys who play really well together. So it, it, it was that's where I say it was an out coaching thing, but you got to give credit to those players on the other side too. But look, if that's hold on, if that's the case though. That is not an indictment of yesterday. That's an indictment on the program. And I, I'm not against that being the case. Like those guys are playing well together because they've been playing well together since March in spring football. And if Ohio State doesn't have that, well, that's that's a, a much bigger problem and something that is systematic. And uh, eventually, if that's the case, that's going to lead to a program that takes a step or two or ten back. And for those that think it can't happen to Ohio State, it's happened to all of them. It's happened to Alabama. It's happened to Florida. It's happened to USC. Like all these programs have been really good and then really bad after. And some of them came back and some of them haven't. And that could be Ohio State if they do not fix the infrastructure issues that we think exist. Yeah, that's fair. Like I think that's sort of a, a separate conversation. I want to get to a break here in a second, but. Like, I think this Ohio State team was close-knit, is close-knit. I think that they played for each other, this, that, and the other. It's just like, they didn't, they haven't had the killer instinct, I guess, this year. I think that's it for me. They have not had the killer instinct. They've gone out and been killers certain weeks, but... You go back now and it's like, okay, yeah, the Notre Dame win was nice, but probably shouldn't have happened. The Penn State win, not as nice. <laughs> Looking back at it now, the edge was missing. I think the edge was talked about. I think the the edge was maybe sort of internalized, but it was a false edge. It was a fake edge. They didn't have the mentality, and maybe that starts at the top to go out and be killers. So, um, but Chuck, let's start talking about some of these players, these position groups, things like that. Let's squeeze in a break. Let's get you paid one of these last times. 
Well, no, I mean, we'll be here in the off season, but who wants to listen to us at this point talk about a program full of losers? Um, I, I'm going off on a tangent. I knew I need to regroup, Chuck. So I'm going to join you in the bourbon. I'm going to d- put a little dash in the coffee. We'll come back. We'll be better on the other side right after this. Welcome back, everybody, to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. For loser one, I'm loser two. We're here. We're talking. Whatever. Um, Ohio State yesterday with a 24-30 loss in Ann Arbor against Michigan, their rival, their third in a row. A lot of different ways to go here. Chuck and I have talked a lot about coaching, general themes, this, that, and the other. Now we're going to turn it over. We're going to look at some players, some position groups. And let's start where we normally do because I think this is going to be a a big part of the conversation at quarterback. I'll give kudos to J.J. McCarthy on the other side. Look, 16 for 20, 148 yards. Those aren't big numbers. But he made some timely plays. He made some really good throws when they needed him to. Um, He at least posed a threat to run the ball. So JJ McCarthy played a really good game for the Wolverines in all honesty. On the other side, Kyle McCord, 18 for 30, 271, two touchdowns, two interceptions. That doesn't look, I I know the yardage is different. CJ Stroud threw two interceptions against Michigan, but this was not that performance. This, it just wasn't Kyle McCord. From the get-go, it was sort of like, oh shit, we might get bad Kyle McCord today. He's been inconsistent all year, and I have defended him like Ryan Day to the ends of the earth. He just he wasn't good yesterday. He was inconsistent. Like there are throws. He's he's great at the back shoulder throw, right? And he can hit some of those seams. But as much as I love some of Kyle McCord's throws. Like, all the bad came out yesterday. Uh, It started early. The Ibuka drop, that was a drop. It was also a little bit behind him, right? And then the interception, you can't do that, man. Like, you just can't. That's something, I think you said, that's that's middle school ball. That's high school ball. You can't stare down your receiver on a slant and not even give him an opportunity to get to the ball. There may have been some miscommunication because that was an RPO play, but... You can't make that throw. The last interception, like I get it. He was under fire. I don't think you can make that throw. And he should have been picked another time or two. He missed a Buka late on a deep ball. All the bad Kyle McCord came out yesterday and he didn't elevate Ohio State's offense in any way. So 18 for 30, 270, two scores. Like, it was a a C minus performance for me. This was not a good Kyle McCord game, and I don't want to. One person did not cost them the game, but Kyle McCord did nothing to help his team win yesterday, in my opinion. Unfortunately, his second quarter was really good, and it helped. He has those. He game, has those. But that first quarter was the worst quarter he had played all year. He was and and we can protect these guys because they're student athletes if we want, but I'm going to say it. He was scared. 
if you get that shot into the quarterback's eyes before plays and the difference between him and McCarthy, and I get it. Look, McCord doesn't uh, have a face that even when it's going well during Michigan State, it didn't look great. But you could tell he was scared. Like, flat out, he was scared during that first quarter. And I know he settled in a little bit and a couple of throws. He made a couple throws, and that kept them in the game. But that pick, that throw to Cade Stover on third and nine when he threw it seven yards to Cade Stover, who was double teamed without even looking anywhere else, he just wanted rid of the ball. He could not get rid of that ball fast enough during that play. The throw to Abuka, it, it's – his footwork is so poor on some of these throws and it's strictly because there's no way he hasn't worked on the footwork for that throw. He's been a quarterback for however long he's been at Ohio state, which is a quarterback factory for three years. He knows where his feet need to go on that throw to Abuka. He just couldn't get him there because he mentally could not process fast enough because he wanted to ball out of his hands, stuff like that. I don't know that that's fixable long-term and that'll be another conversation, but it cost them in this game because you didn't see that with JJ McCarthy. He was confident. He was locked in. He understood his offense. He understood he had a, a relationship with his offensive coordinator that they could, he could trust him to run plays that they wanted to run that Kyle McCord and Ryan day don't have. And it was really evident. And McCord's numbers look way better. And that's the problem with stats in football. Because if you watch that game, there's not a person alive uh, that's not related to Kyle McCord that watched that game and says he was a better quarterback in that game yesterday, even though his stats say that he was. I said that he was going into this game. I was like, I think Kyle McCord's just as good. And like, if you take the good Kyle McCord, I, I think he's an NFL quarterback. If you just take the good highlights. I really do because he can make some special throws, but I, I I don't know, man. Like I think yesterday was the answer to the question that we had been asking for three years, whether or not Ryan day trusts Kyle McCord, whether or not Kyle McCord can elevate this offense a la CJ Stroud, a la one of the other guys. And it sort of seems like now that he can't like, Look, he's a tough kid. I give him a ton of credit for the Notre Dame game late and hanging in there all year, playing through some injury. And like, I want to, I want Kyle McCord to be the guy. I have wanted him to be the guy, but like, it was just, it was a bad performance yesterday. He made a couple of throws that Marvin Harrison Jr., like, if he's not an alien, those don't get completed. And I also think that Ryan Day has to help him. But then again, I don't know that Ryan Day knows how to help him. Like, I just, there's something there with those guys. Maybe it's a lack of trust. Maybe it's a lack of faith on Ryan Day's part. But, you know, it's funny. The touchdown to Marvin Harrison Jr. was sort of a, a mesh concept, a crossing route, whatever. And, like, Chuck, if I told you, that Ryan Day was going to tell Jesse Minter, hey, put the earpiece away. You don't need signs. We're going to run a mesh concept or crossers every single play. Good luck. Could Michigan stop it? I don't I, I don't know. Part of me says I don't think so, but a simple play, a simple concept was like it was behind glass all year, and Ryan Day only broke it 
when it was absolutely necessary, when it was an emergency, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, easy stuff out there for Kyle McCord yesterday. But at the same time, he has to help himself. And he made some of the same boneheaded decisions. Like That's what was disappointing for me personally as a McCord guy. We saw the same things yesterday that we saw week one, that we saw week six when it comes to mistakes. Like, think about the interception in the end zone. Um, gosh, the game has escaped me. Maybe it was Notre Dame. Now that I think about it, it's first down. You're in the red zone. You make the one throw that you can't make. And that's what he did yesterday. He made a couple of throws that you just can't make. Both interceptions, really. Like, I know we got hit on the last one. And we were talking before the podcast. He wasn't going to be able to turn his body and hit Henderson out in the flat. Which we saw that. That's 5 to 10 yards. Travion Henderson gets out of bounds. But you also can't throw, make the throw into traffic that he was about to throw. I know that there was a window there. There was. But you got to sense the pressure. You got to live to fight another day. You got to dirt that ball. You got to get it out. You got to do something to avoid disaster. And he made two disastrous plays yesterday. He handed, he essentially handed Michigan their first seven points. And then he put the nail in the coffin at the end. So it was just tough, man. Like, there's still a part of me that's like, yeah, but the second and third quarters were really, really good. There's a lot. There are a lot of quarterbacks out there that can give you two tremendous quarters, but the other two can't be bad, and we got bad Kyle too often yesterday. Not only did you get bad Kyle, it was a it was a performance that leads you to believe because it was the same things. Like at some point during a season, a season is long. I mean, they've been going since August. Some of this stuff. He's seen on film and he can't correct. So that part of it is really concerning for him that he sees it. You know, this is something that that we talk about um, with our our 13 year old baseball team. Like you see that you, you've seen what you do when you do it right. You've seen what you do when you do it wrong. Now you've got to make the adjustment. We can't make the adjustment for you. There's got to be scenarios where when he sees his defenders draped all over his wide receivers that he doesn't make that throw and he's 13 games into his starting career and he's still throwing into not kind of coverage just flat the guy's not open like Kate Stover was double teamed he wasn't even single he didn't and he threw it before Stover even turned around stuff like that like that is that's like quarterbacking 101 and he doesn't have that. And I, I truly think it's it's not skills. He knows how to throw the ball well enough to be a successful college quarterback. I don't think he's, by any means, he's not C.J. Stroud, Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins, any of those guys with arm talent. But he has enough to be successful at throwing the football in college. It's upstairs. And at some point, it's either there or it's not. And some guys, it does click. Bo Nix, it clicked in his fourth or fifth year. Eighth or some ninth, guys, yep. it never clicked. Yeah, I mean, some guys, well, I mean, he's had two really good years now in a row. But some guys, it never clicks. 
And that is a, right now it's not clicking for Kyle McCord. He does not process every play the same. Like for whatever reason, he can process some plays really well and others he can't. And yesterday, some of them he couldn't process really well. And to me, it's fear. It's him getting happy feet. It's him wanting to get the ball out because he's worried about what will happen if he doesn't. Um, it's him being overwhelmed in the moment. Uh, it's him being letting his emotions get the best of him. And if he can't calm that, um, I don't know what he can do going forward to get better at quarterback and get more consistent because more consistent is really what they need. They need good Kyle for every quarter against a good team. And I just don't know where he goes to get that at this point, if that continues to be the reason why he struggles. I think you summed it up very well. And as you're talking, I and you mentioned some of the other guys, Kyle McCord's performance throughout this season is just, it's greater and more proof that C.J. Stroud is a really smart quarterback. <laughs> you know, the knock on Ohio State guys has been, oh, well, everyone's always open. They're one-read guys. Kyle McCord's a one-read guy, or a guy who has, on occasion, struggled to process. Look at what C.J. Stroud's doing. Like, the dude is an Intel-level processor. So, eh, long-term, man, I I struggle with it. I, I struggle with the game yesterday and thinking that it's going to be fixed in his fourth season as a college quarterback. So, that's TBD, though. That's... Chuck, we need to save some content for down the road. We got a long, uh, it's not the off season yet, but for all intents and purposes, we got a long off season. So put a pin in that. Let's move on to running back. Start with Michigan again. Blake Corum, 22 for 88, two scores. Donovan Edwards, 10 for 31. He also had the 34-yard completion to the tight end. Um, Michigan's running backs did not win the game for them yesterday. Like, I'm not taking credit away. Corum had the 22-yard touchdown, and he got tough yards. But I give that to Ohio or Michigan's offensive line, Ohio State's defensive line, sort of split there. I, I don't want to get into Ohio State's defense yet, but I thought that they pretty much contained Michigan's running game. Um, but the 22-yard touchdown, that was timely. And then the tough yards late, obviously – it didn't seal the game, but it it sort of choked the life out of the clock and gave Ohio State less of an opportunity to come back. As for the Buckeyes, look, Trayvon Henderson, 19 for 60. Chip Tranum was the backup yesterday, 6 for 37, 6.2 yard average. Xavier Johnson got a couple carries. I thought Chip Tranum looked like the, the stronger hammer, I guess. He's a bigger, more physical back. And maybe that's what Ohio State needed in totality. But you got to lean on Travion Henderson. I mean, you just do. The yards per carry, they weren't there. He had the touchdown. He was stifled on a number of plays. It was gonna probably going to be difficult to run against Michigan's defense with Ohio State's offensive line. Like, let's just call it what it is. They played better as of late. Michigan's defense is really, really good. I I wanted something more 
out of that backfield. I don't know what it is. Uh, maybe it's just the the utilization, the play calls, the usage, things like that. Um, you know, Trayvon Henderson had three receptions for 19 yards. I think to help your quarterback and to take some pressure off of your offensive line, that number could have been five or six. We know Trayvon Henderson can catch. We know he can be an outlet underneath. He got a, at least one first down that I can think of that sort of helped extend a drive. It wasn't a bad game necessarily for Ohio State's running backs for their backfield. I just I would have liked to have seen different usage and better play design, more ways to get them incorporated because ultimately, like McCord, they didn't elevate Ohio State's offense. I want to kind of meld this into the next group because to me, you can't talk about these running backs without talking about the fact that this offensive line, save for that one drive in the third quarter, flat did not get to the second level at That's all. Fair. Like they just, they did not get to the second level ever. And you can't have a successful run game if you're not able to peel off of a block and hit a linebacker. If the linebackers are going to run rampant all game, you're not going to be successful, especially against this defensive line. This defensive line is going to make its own fair share of plays. So on the plays that they don't, you have to be able to make a, a linebacker get blocked. And they weren't able to do that. They stunk. This offensive line stunk. Henderson didn't have a chance on 10 of those carries to do anything more than he did. Barry Sanders couldn't have done more than what Travion did on 10 of those carries. I did like what, and this was something about Hayden that we talked about previously and and why we liked him. And I feel like he probably would have been successful like Tripp was. They get the ball and go sometimes where, where sometimes Travion dances just a little bit. And I think Chip was able to uh, just get the ball and go before everything could be set up, and that was successful. But like you said, you have to lean on Henderson in this position. But you also have, like, running backs are only as good as as the blocking in front of them, especially against a defense like Michigan's. It's not, he's not going to be able to make three guys miss against this team. The first guy's going to wrap him up that hits him. And if that first guy's one yard, guess what? It's going to be second and nine. And it was second and nine a lot because they could not get movement and you know you and I both know I'm not the biggest PFF guy but the grades played out they stunk on these PFF like they were they were not good and it's it, it's an indictment of the season we talked about it all year nothing changed this game they didn't all of a sudden become world beaters and it hindered their ability to be successful today because it made them in some cases, say for that one drive, it made them one-dimensional. What's crazy is that one drive, they were one-dimensional with the run, and nothing could be done about it. But no other drive did it look like that. And you you just can't be that way against this defense and then expect to put up 40 points. Yeah, I think it's a total conversation. So let's table the running back thing. And I've got the grades for you. So Donovan Jackson was the top-graded Ohio State offensive lineman, according to PFF. He finished with a 59.2 overall grade. And like you said earlier, I think he's still picking his teeth up out of the turf from that last play. Um, The rest of the starting offensive linemen, so the other four, were the the four lowest graded Buckeyes 
in that game yesterday. Uh, Josh Simmons, 54.5. Carson Hinsman, 50.9. Josh Fryer, 47.2. Matthew Jones, 43.0. I don't need, I didn't even know that that was possible for an interior offensive lineman to grade out at a 40 bleeping three. Are you kidding me? Tell him what his pass block grade was. Uh, okay. Let me pull it up here. <laughs> oh boy. Um, Am I reading 4.4? Goodness that gracious. That is what you're reading. He had a four grade. Four grade. And that's just, I don't know, maybe we were sort of lying to ourselves, but I, you and I, we didn't really defend the offensive line very often. We said that they had gotten better. Definitely, I, I definitely did. I said, you know what, they're showing some progress. Like, Josh Simmons, I sent you something. He hadn't been... Uh, he hadn't given up a sack since like week three or week four or something like that. But looking back, like against who, you know, like I should on Michigan's schedule and it was far worse than Ohio State's like Notre Dame and Penn State. Those wins count. But then you go up to Ann Arbor and like every one of you guys, you got punched in the mouth. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to them directly like I shouldn't be. Uh, I don't want to see them out on the street. I'll be complimentary. I'll sing a different tune. But Ohio State's offensive line was a problem all year. And I think that there were games where Ryan Day and Justin Fry, they were able to put a Band-Aid on it. But when it mattered most, four of your offensive linemen were four of your worst guys that played in the whole damn game yesterday. So... That's a problem, and maybe that affected Ryan Day and his play calling. Like, they can play into each other, right? I call for Ryan Day to do this, that, and the other, but if he doesn't trust his offensive line, then he has to call a game a certain way. And, you know, it probably affects the psyche and gets into the head of Kyle McCord, too. We can't be in his head. We can blame him for some of the throws he made. And at some point, you're making those with your eyes and your arm. But in his head, it's like, man, I only get I only get a second and a half to make this play. I only get two seconds to drop back and make this throw. So it was clearly impactful all year. And it really, really caught up to him at the wrong time. It did, and I don't know. Like I don't, I don't know what we're, we were fans first, so we wanted to expect something different. But now that we're in a hindsight kind of thing, we should have known this was coming. It was not something that was going to get fixed between Minnesota and Michigan, and Michigan was the best defense in the country that they are maybe the best defense in the country and definitely the best defense they had faced by far. So we kind of should have expected it. And it's kind of an indictment to me. You talked about Ryan day to play caller and I'm less critical of Ryan day, the play caller after this game. And I'm more critical of Ryan day, the team builder, because we talked since August or April the quarterback not being consistent was going to be an issue. The offensive line not being figured out was going to be an issue. And he better figure these out. And as the head coach, that's his job to do. 
and neither of them got figured out. And ultimately, they're the two reasons on offense that this team did not score enough points to win yesterday. So for him as a head coach, that is a problem that he has to address. And if you look at the other uh, contenders, these are two current issues that none of the other contenders have. Even Alabama has figured out who their quarterback is. Their line, they've got two first-round guys on that line. Georgia doesn't have an issue at either. Michigan obviously doesn't have an issue at either. We just saw it firsthand. Uh, we saw what Michael Penix did. We saw what Bo Nix has done. Uh, maybe you could argue Florida State now. Yeah. I mean, they still have a shot at it. because, But that was an injury. That wasn't even because their guy didn't play well. So Ohio State literally was the only quote-unquote contender that had a weak offensive line and an inconsistent quarterback. And shockingly, they're not in it anymore. So that's that's just kind of how things play out when you're in a scenario like this. Not enough progress, not enough development, not enough um, whatever. I, I don't know what it is as far as that sort of large group goes. Elsewhere, though, skill position. I, I say skill position, guys. I mean outside guys. I mean pass catchers, wide receivers, tight ends. One thing I did get right about this game Colston Loveland had the potential to burn Ohio State, Michigan's number one tight end. It's exactly what he did. Five for 88. He was by far Michigan's you know, most useful, dangerous, productive pass catcher. I mean, Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson, uh, Michigan's top two receivers, had seven catches for 69 yards. Like They weren't super impactful. Roman Wilson... Obviously had the touchdown that we're not sure it was a touchdown, but it was ruled a touchdown. So ultimately it counts, whatever. Um, but it, Colston's going to be a guy. Or I'm sorry, Colston Loveland is going to be a guy. He's going to be an NFL talent for sure. For Ohio State, Marvin Harrison Jr., 5 for 118, a touchdown. He had an incredible one-armed catch. He had a nice back shoulder catch early in the game. Julian Fleming was next up, 3 for 59. My guy, at least going out with 59 yards in a Michigan game. Cade Stover, 3 for 42. Emeka Ibuka, 3 for 24 in a tug. Travion Henderson, 3 for 19. Xavier Johnson, 1 for 9. Um, I Ohio State needed to figure out a way to get the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka easier. And more often, Marvin Harrison Jr., you know, two of his big plays, most of his yardage, like they came off ridiculous catches, good throws, honestly. Um, but he needed to have eight, nine, ten receptions yesterday, like no matter what. Uh, obviously, you can't force it to him like Kyle McCord tried to do earlier in the game on the interception, but... It was sort of what we saw all year, right? Like, how can it be so difficult to get it to the best offensive player in the country? In my opinion, and in a lot of other people's opinions, Morgan Harrison Jr. can't have just five receptions yesterday. I love the yardage and the fact that he scored a touchdown. You got to get the ball to him more. And... Omeka Ibuka, like, I want to have a conversation about him because I am 
I'm on the fence. I am internally divided. Chuck, do you think that Emeka Igbuka is, was overrated? Or do you think that Ohio State just couldn't figure out a way to use him this year? And, and I know he got banged up too, but he was never he was rarely the guy like his he wasn't super impactful and I think I, I'm not real sure I want to turn it over to you first because I'm really split on Emeka Ibuka and like what happened to him this year I said we should be cautious about Emeka Ibuka in the preseason I thought um and, and this could be completely wrong I thought he was too big and I thought there was a chance that he wasn't in, in, in the Indiana game. He did not look as shifty. He did not look as quick twitch. And he did not look as fast as early as that. So that was back when he was healthy. And to me, he never regained the athleticism he had last year. Now, could there be an argument that not having a number two overall uh, future NFL offensive rookie of the year at your quarterback that could push defenses back a little bit could have affected him. Yes. And if that's the case, then he was overrated because no matter what, you should still be able to get open. He's a, he should have been a JSN. That that's what he was portrayed as, right? He's in the slot and he, he is a slot God like JSN was. And you brought up multiple times that Fleming should have, is should be a slot guy and he can't because Abuka was in there. Well, guess what? He didn't do anything. So maybe Fleming should have been the guy in that slot, but he's not as fast. He's not as quick and he's definitely not as shifty as he was last year. Like that is that you cannot look at last year's games and this year's games and say that you just can't. Um, he's not where he needs to be athletically. Why is anybody's, Yes. My guess is he got a little too heavy and he couldn't handle the weight. Uh, if he comes back and is 10 pounds lighter next year, that tells me that he agrees. I don't think there's any way he can go into the draft this year, especially with all the guys that have come in, unless he just wants to go be a second or third round guy and try to get to that second contract. Then by all means, he did not have the year JSN had the previous year to still keep him in the first round conversation like JSN was able to do. So if he wants that, great. If he wants to actually try to be a high first-round pick, a top 15 guy, he's going to have to come back. I think regardless, next year he probably needs to be 5 to 10 pounds lighter, whether it's here or the NFL, in order to bring back the explosiveness that he had previously. Yeah, you've been on that. If I'm being honest, like he, he did look rocked up. He looked big. I, I didn't see it as much as you, but I'm not going to sit here and disagree with you. I, I think the numbers can sort of – support your argument um so it's tough for me to take the opposite stance but yeah they, he was rarely special this year and i but i i do think that a lot of that comes down to how he was used and i'm not willing to say that he's a one-trick pony and he needs to have you know a bunch of other look he was the number two last year um this is essentially the same receiving group that we saw last year, especially with JSN being injured early last year. So I don't know, like his chemistry with Kyle McCord didn't seem right. Um, 
but also just the way that they used him. You know, like there weren't very many explosive plays. I've got his page pulled up. What do you think is the longest play from scrimmage that Emeka Ibuka uh, was given credit for this year? Just take a guess. Oh, I, 15, 18 yards? Or was it, it, was it Notre Dame? No, so it, it wasn't that bad, but it was 28 yards against Youngstown State. He had a 28-yard reception. Uh, the one against Notre Dame was 23 yards. Uh, he had a 26-yard catch against Minnesota, but like we're talking five receptions of 20 plus yards and so that's 2023 you know last year Igbuka averaged 15.6 yards per reception this year it was 12.9 you look at some of the games from last year whether it was a uh, you know yards per catch or not but like four for 118 Arkansas State like I know that's a crappy team but that's 30 yards per catch six for 118 against Wisconsin 20 yards per catch, um, five for 143 against Michigan State. They obviously had a poor secondary, but then the average is down. But last year against Michigan, Emeka Ibuka was nine for 125. He was arguably the most productive offensive player in the game for Ohio State last year. And then against Georgia, he was eight for 112. Yards per catch is a little bit down, but... It just, like, there were so many games last year where he was 100-plus, where he was 20 yards per catch. He didn't really do any of that this year, but I, I really do think that Ohio State struggled with how to use him, and Kyle McCord struggled with getting him the ball. And selfishly, maybe that means that he does come back. I still think he's a first-round talent, but it it seems pretty evident now that he has to be in the right situation to be a like a super impactful, productive guy. Because I know he was banged up. He had 35 catches for 451 yards this year. Like, that's not getting it done, man. Like, whether you're banged up or not, if you're healthy enough to play, then you're healthy enough to produce, in my opinion. Uh, and I'm not calling out his toughness. Like I said, I think it's a bunch of different things that go into it. But he was, honestly, like, I would have expected 35 and 450 from Julian Fleming this year. I, I really would have. Those are your third wide receiver numbers. And Emeka Ibuka was supposed to be 1B, and he was a 3. But, um, <laughs> I don't know, there are just so many so many factors that go into the offensive production. It's probably time for us to be able to turn the page, unless you had anything else that you wanted to add as far as Ohio State's offense. No, no, that's enough. I, I waved the towel. fill my coffee. Yeah, while you're talking, I refilled my coffee with no coffee, just bourbon. So let's flip it to the other side of the ball. Look at these defenses. Um, you know, Michigan's defense, they had a couple interceptions, um, both sort of thrown right at them or floated right to them. Early, I thought Will Johnson was good on Marvin Harrison Jr., but I think you got to give Marv opportunity after opportunity. He's not getting locked up consistently one-on-one. -on -one. Ohio State didn't do that. Um, 
Michigan didn't really get after the passer a ton. They had one sack. I know there were some other pressures, but I, I don't know. Like Michigan's defense, in my opinion, didn't win the game for them. It's I know I don't want to sound like a sore loser, but this defense that Ohio State faced yesterday, like under different circumstances and with different personnel, it, it can be scored upon. And maybe we see that eventually, maybe we don't. I don't really want to focus on that. Ohio State's defense, on the other hand, bend but don't break. It's sort of what we saw all year against a better opponent. And when you're going against a better opponent, you have to be able to make plays. And Ohio State's defense was not able to do that. They didn't force any turnovers. They got one sack, maybe a couple other pressures. I'm looking here, a total of two tackles for loss. That includes the sack. They didn't break up any passes. Like, at best, Ohio State's defense just kept some guys in front of them. And so that was really disappointing. Um, You know, I thought some guys played well. I think Mike Hall Jr., was it was sort of impactful. He he had a couple pressures. Tyleek Williams, the interior of that defensive line was pretty good. The edges, they're gonna grade out okay. But and, and I know Jack Sawyer was credited with the sack. JT Tuimoloal didn't have a great game. Uh, he he didn't have an impactful game, and that's you brought it up before we jumped on. There were just guys out there limiting big plays without making them. And I think that was part of the problem, at least up front. They kept Michigan's run game in check. You know, Blake Corm, I mentioned earlier, 22 for 88. But late in the game, they drained, what, probably five, six minutes of clock when they needed to, and they pushed the ball down the field. And that it was seven. It, yeah, it seven. They it, got that ball with eight minutes to go, and Buckeyes got it back with a minute. Like that, that part was that was a backbreaker. I struggle to blame the front seven, though. Like, it, in a sense, yeah. Like you've got to step up and you've got to make a play. You have to get off the field sooner. But when your DC is just basically saying, "Hey, go out there and you know we're gonna have four down, two up, maybe three up." And we're not going to blitz, run blitz. We're not going to stunt. We're not going to do this, that, or the other. Like, then you're not being set up for success. But I, I, I can't bail them out completely. Ohio State's defense did not make plays yesterday. And that may have ultimately been the difference in the game. It was, I think. You know, we, we expect it. I went out there and said this is the best the best defense in college football uh, as late as Wednesday's pod, and I believed it despite the inability to make those big plays. But, but this game kind of showed that if you don't if you can't at some point dial something up to control like to create some chaos, a really good offense with an experienced quarterback and a good line is going to manage the game. And frankly, 
they didn't have to do anything crazy because they once they got the lead, that that's Michigan's MO, right? They get the lead and then they just manage the game from there. Now they got creative in a couple of plays, and I saw some guys with some Ohio State roots. Uh, that are in the media world now saying, oh, it took them bringing in their backup quarterback and it took them throwing a halfback pass to put up points. Well, it doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. They scored on six of their last seven drives. That cannot happen, period. You cannot let them score on 83% of their drives uh, ending from, uh, my guess is that was the last drive of the second quarter through the end of the game. That can't happen. Period. I don't care if they bring Jim Harbaugh in at quarterback, Peyton Manning at quarterback, Barry Sanders. Like, it doesn't matter. You can't allow that to happen in this game, especially with the offense that you have that just is not going to be able to do that. And obviously they weren't able to do that. And because of that, they lost the game. So the inability of them to cause Michigan any kind of angst, even when that was a close game, even when Ohio State uh, looked like they had a shot, Michigan was calm. They knew what they were going to be able to do against this defense, and Jim Knowles proved them right because he didn't make them do anything different. They knew what they were going to see. They executed against it, and that last drive is a perfect example. Eight minutes to go. All you need is a stop. And it took them seven minutes to get to stop. That's just, that can't happen. You can't let them bleed seven minutes off the clock. At some point, like they said during the broadcast, you have to start taking some chances. They got lucky. They didn't even take any chances. They just finally got a stop. But it took, was it four first downs before they got it? And because of that, think about it. If McCord is able to eat a sack there because there's four minutes left instead of 30 seconds left, what the hell, like, there's there's a completely different ball game. Or if he only needed a field goal to tie the game, there's a completely different ball game. But because they could not, they 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 bent all the way down the field, it, it just didn't work out. And like you said earlier, the inability um, of them to change anything besides uh, vanilla, they got them a big bowl of vanilla ice cream, didn't even put any Hershey syrup on it, any part of the game, no sprinkles, no candy, nothing. Eventually, it's going to taste like shit. And guess what? About 3.30 yesterday, it tasted like shit. <laughs> it certainly did. And I'm going to read you some of the uh, PFF grades, but I'm more focused on the pass rush grade. So Michael Jr., just pass rush grade, 91.1 yesterday. I think that's fair. I thought that he was by far the most impactful guy in that front six, that front seven. But Jack Sawyer, 63.9. JT Tuimolowau, 69.2. 69, normally nice. Not yesterday. Got to make plays. Um, and uh, Tyleek Williams, 53.3. They didn't put any pressure on J.J. McCarthy. That's why he was able to go you know, 16 for 20 and direct his offense down the field and, and guide them down the field. So... And what's interesting about pass rush grades is, you know, it's normally you get a pass rush grade when the other team throws the ball. And sometimes there's ambiguity there, right? But I'm looking at snap counts 
during which players were rushing the passer. And we talked about creating additional pressure, giving them some looks, doing some other stuff. How many pass rush snap counts do you think Steel Chambers, Tommy Eichenberg, Cody Simon had, Chuck? I watched the game, and it's closer to zero than anything else. So it's two, and they were both by Cody Simon. So you're telling me no pressure, no blitzing from Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers. That's unacceptable. Um, we'll look in the back end a little bit. I, I know they want to limit the big plays. What has Sonny Styles been successful at all year? Uh, being around the ball and around the line and attacking. So according to PFF, he had one pass rush snap yesterday, maybe one blitz. So that's that's my indictment on Jim Knowles yesterday. Like there was nothing brought to the table. Absolutely nothing, man. Like you have to create pressure somehow. You've got to dial up something a little bit different. And he didn't do that yesterday. Um and let, let's just carry over. We'll look at the linebackers a little bit more. Steel Chambers played okay yesterday. Cody Simon was on the field, you know, 20, 25 snaps, uh, 22 to be exact. Look, not super impactful, but I'm not going to tear those guys apart. What really hurts me, uh, like it, it hurts me so deep in my soul, you cannot even understand. Tommy Eichenberg played every snap yesterday, 60 total, and he graded, graded out as the absolute worst defender on the field yesterday. I think for both teams, certainly for Ohio State, he was given a 52.5 grade by PFF. That's not, PFF grades are not the end-all be-all, though. Like, you've taken more issue with them than I have, but we both are like, look, there's so many different things that go into that. You can't just grayed out on a computer and say this guy was good, this guy was bad. Tommy Eichenberg was not good yesterday. He was arguably bad. And maybe he's still banged up. Kudos to him for going out there. It's not like Ohio State has a better option. They sure as shit don't have a more proven option because they didn't play anybody beyond the three linebackers that they trust. Tommy Eichenberg wasn't good yesterday. Seven total tackles. Missed probably six or seven. Um... He couldn't really do much in coverage. Probably one of his worst games at the worst time. But Ohio State linebackers, like like the defensive line, like their coordinator, they didn't impact the game in a positive manner. No, and that doesn't even bring up the fact that it looked like they had never seen a tight end in coverage before. These tight, this, these guys were running rampant rough shot in front of them it was it was kind of scary there were there were a couple plays where it looked like some of the guys were in man and then the linebackers were kind of in zone but kind of not like they weren't covering all the zones and then all of a sudden here we go Michigan's running down the sideline for 15 17 18 yards so it was not a great performance by them uh same for Sonny he had a couple where he just that that quorum touchdown after the offensive line injury, Sonny comes up, meets him, I don't know, seven, eight yards past the line of scrimmage, is on his, he's on quorum's right shoulder instead of squaring him up. There's nobody to the outside and he has no chance. Quorum puts his foot in the ground 
and leaves Sonny laying on the ground with his helmet or with his face mask shoved into the turf because he he forgot the basic premise of trying to tackle somebody and for whatever reason panicked in the moment. I think Sonny Siles was put in a difficult position once Lathan Ransom went down because they tried to fit him into a role and they said throughout the year like Sonny doesn't fit one role. And so they weren't able to use him that way. But yeah, like he missed some things. Um, for what it's worth, I mean, Sonny Style should have been playing linebacker yesterday, in my opinion. He wasn't going to play over those three guys, but long term, I think that's what his position is. Or like, look, he's a jo- he's a joker player, right? Like he's he's something you use different on every single snap. But he was in the secondary. We'll get to the secondary. Like in front of them, though. You know, I, I'm going to choose to believe that Tommy Eichenberg was compromised yesterday, but he wasn't going to miss that game for anything. But, you know, an arm injury shouldn't affect the angles that you take. Um, an arm injury shouldn't really impact the holes that you're in near the line of scrimmage. He just didn't play a good game, and, and it sucks, man. It sucks, it sucks, it sucks, because Tommy Eichenberg has been the consummate Buckeye. He was a guy, gosh, early in his career, like, Chuck, you weren't doing the pod yet, and maybe I was when he first got on the field. Man, like, I, I was anti-Tommy early. I was like, man, this guy can't cover. He can't do this out of the other, and he, he built himself into – a really good linebacker. We didn't see that yesterday. And Steel Chambers, you know, he had 13 tackles. He was forced to have 13 tackles, um, usually four or five, six yards beyond the line of scrimmage. He wasn't really set up for success. But, um, yeah, just, just a tough game. And then, finally, let's get to the secondary. You know, we're, we're like 75 minutes in. We could probably do two hours, but... Again, content for later down the road. I thought the secondary was fine. Yeah, Sonny Styles had a rough moment or two. Denzel Burke, he graded poorly, according to PFF. I didn't really see that. I mean, Michigan's wide receivers were kept in check. I said it earlier, 7 for 69. Burke had, um, I think he had a pass breakup that wasn't credited. Like, I, I seem to remember one. He had good defense on a deep ball later in the game and I thought he tackled fairly well you know Denzel Burke was credited with five tackles uh Josh Proctor with five Davis Nigmanosin with four Davis Nigmanosin had a couple sticks Jordan Hancock this wasn't really a Jordan Hancock game maybe it could have been with Michigan's usage of the tight end but he wasn't able to make a lot of plays the thing that I find sort of crazy is it wasn't the game-deciding touchdown, but the Roman Wilson touchdown. Malik Hartford, he's got his eyes on J.J. McCarthy. And for some reason, does a 180, turns around, uh, hell of a thread by McCarthy. It kind of goes between Hartford and Denzel Burke. I know that Lathan Ransom being out had an effect, right? 
and maybe somebody needed a breather. Do you know how many other snaps Malik Hartford played yesterday beyond that one? I'm going to go with zero, Bob. Correct. The correct answer. That was yes. his only snap of the game, and Michigan took advantage. Like, you can bet your ass that Sharon Moore saw that and said, we're throwing right there. We're throwing at that kid right now on this play come hell or high water. They did it. It worked. And it put Michigan up seven or whatever at the time. That's, it wasn't the difference in the game, but that mentality or that willingness to go after a perceived weak link and Ohio State being willing to put Malik Hartford out there. I mean, a true freshman who hasn't really played a lot lately on defense, you're going to put him out there on a big third down in the red zone? Like, that's sort of the difference. If we want to go big picture, that sort of signifies the difference between the two coaching staffs. Michigan took advantage of something. They chose to be aggressive when they saw the baby deer out in the field, right? They were like, boom, there's our target. We're going for it. And it worked. They did it. They scored. For whatever reason, Malik Harford was out there, and it was one of the many things that cost Ohio State this game. Ultimately, you know, 23, 30 points given up by the defense, really 23. They limited the big plays, but they didn't make any. That's what it came down to for me, Chuck, um, for the defense. You nailed it. They were fine. Your first sentence was exactly what they were. They, they were fine, but they weren't great, and they made no impact. They were just there limiting. They were a very limiting back end of a defense, but they were not a playmaking back end of a defense. And they didn't need to make 10 plays. They needed to make one or two, and they couldn't do it. And that part of it, um, ultimately, uh, the the defensively, the lack of explosion up front and the lack of explosion in the back cost them in this game. And it, um, and, and this will be another <laughs> pod for another day, but the overreaction by the coaching staff to last year's Michigan and Georgia games was fine throughout the year because you had some inferior talent on the other teams, but their overreaction to the big plays ended up costing them in this game. And don't think for one second that Harbaugh and Moore and Minter knew that. Moore and Harbaugh, more. More importantly, they knew Ohio State was just going to try to limit big plays. They weren't going to pull that safety up. Everybody in the damn state of Michigan knew that they were going to run on that last drive. And Josh Proctor's 30 yards back. There was no, there was no chance they were going to throw that ball deep. Even when they threw the ball, they threw it into the flat. That's winning football. They knew what to do. They trusted their system, and they drew, and they looked at Josh Proctor and said, oh, guess what? It's 11 on 10 because he'll never be a part of this game in this scenario. And they got four first downs or five first downs, whatever it was, and Ohio State got the ball with a minute left, down six, instead of with three or four or five minutes left, down three, because they didn't attack and go make a play. Yeah, they needed to dial up some of the aggressive plays, blitzes, whatever, that cost them last year. Like, at some point, well enough or good enough is not good enough. Um, but 
it, it comes down to outplayed, outcoached, and now likely out of contention. And uh, they earned it. Ohio State earned or gave away a, a spot in the college football playoff. Like they just weren't good enough in any facets of the game yesterday, whether it was, uh, you know, between the sidelines or on the sideline. They got outgamed. And it sucks. It's unfortunate. Like doing this pod sucks with the exception of you know i get to look at your beautiful face over there but nothing about this is fun like it, it's a bummer but now that 12 games are in the books i we can look at it and be like hey ohio state probably wasn't a top four team they're probably not a top four team because you know they're just not good enough on the offensive line because the defense was statistically great, but didn't make a ton of play. Like we can point to a bunch of different things. It's all revisionist history. Um, Chuck, I want to wrap up here in a second, but I, I think this might be the first podcast to go up for land grant. So I want to get something on the record, whether we look stupid or not. What if any changes to this coaching staff are made and we can talk about this more we will talk about this more but i want to get your instant reaction right now i want to get a prediction from you what if any changes do you think are made to this ohio state coaching staff and you can include ryan day if you want like that's a change i think parker fleming is gone i i'm not ready oh yeah hey real quick Ohio State special teams sucked yesterday. They sucked the week before. They sucked the month before. Parker Fleming's a bum. I don't normally attack individuals. Get him out of here. I'm going to go with the basis that Ryan Day's staying one more year. And I think that's his... I, I think that to be... I think that's true. I think he ends up staying. The part that we didn't talk about through all this, and I don't think needs to be talked about today, is no change is going to happen because... Uh, Gene Smith's retiring in June and they're just not going to, they're not going to put this coaching stat or this coaching change on him. They're just not, uh, he went 11 and one. So if they're going to make a change, it's going to be with the new administration. So that being said, he could leave for the NFL. I don't believe he leaves for the NFL this year. So Ryan day stays. I think Parker Fleming's gone. I think he gets, just gets fired. I think Brian Hartline's gone. I think he takes a job because it's painfully obvious he's not getting any more out of coaching at Ohio State. He He's the offensive coordinator in name only. I saw it again yesterday, multiple times. While they should be talking about the offense, he didn't even have his damn mic down. He's not involved in the play calling at all on game day, so he's learning nothing more at Ohio State. He's gone. He's just going to go get a job. My guess is he might even get – if he was smart, he would go take a a good a good group of five job over a shitty power five job, so that he could springboard himself. Something like what Herman did. Herman went to Houston, had a couple great years. All of a sudden, he's at Texas. Hopefully, Hartline does better than he did at Texas. But something like that is what I see happening with him. To that end, I think that's probably it on the offensive side. I think. Tony Alford probably gets another year because he's got two running backs coming in on this, this, this cycle. I think that part of it keeps him around. Um, I think Larry Johnson retires. I think he is done as well. 
Um, I think uh, Laurinaitis ends up coming on full-time as the linebackers coach. They fill in the defensive line coaching slot. And one of the, I'm guessing one of the guys in the secondary has to have some special teams background and either Eliana I don't give a shit if they do or not. One, <laughs> they wanted them. And I'll, special I'll teams text them and give them better special teams it. advice from my couch. Yeah. So I think Hartline, I think Larry Johnson and I think Fleming uh, all leave. So three out of 10 are gone. Um, I would not be shocked if somebody like Corey Dennis got some offensive coordinator looks, even though this is not the year to do it. I just because of the coaching tree. And if he got the right offer, I think he might leave. Uh, I'm with you on Fleming. I, I don't think he gets the opportunity to return. Ryan Day doesn't throw his coaches under the bus. But he he was rarely, if ever, complimentary of the special teams. Uh, and really all he was, said on occasion was like, yeah, that can't happen. That, that's bad. That's a mistake. That's unacceptable. Um, as far as Heartline goes, I think Ohio State could be in big, big trouble if they let him leave. I, I think Ryan Day's got to ca- have a, a come-to-football-Jesus moment and give – Brian Hartline an opportunity to be the real offensive great. Cause look, if it's not going well in September, you can take those responsibilities back. Now that means like, if you take Hartline's responsibilities away during the season, like then he's gone for sure. But like, because if Brian Hartline leaves, Jeremiah Smith might not be here. Brandon Ennis might not be here. And say what you will about Brian Hartline in the development. Like, nobody was really able to step up this year. But there's a ton of guys on the roster. Like, you got to have talent on the roster. So, I actually think Brian Hartline does become the offensive coordinator, like, in actuality. But his say over a little bit of everything, you know, Justin Fry is the run game coordinator, right? Um, and we saw the offensive line play this year we've also seen the lack of offensive line recruiting I think Justin Fry might be gone like I know him and he and Ryan Day like they've got a connection and they've got history but the offensive line this year was the worst that I've seen in years at Ohio State and you can say the cupboard was left bare maybe that's true but guess what he hasn't restocked it either um, no offense to the guys coming in, but Ohio State has four offensive line recruits coming in, three of which are three stars. They're not blue chippers. Uh, Ian Moore is maybe a blue chipper, but he's probably better at guard than he is at tackle. This offense, the talent in the room hasn't gotten better. The on-field product hasn't gotten a whole heck of a lot better. So, you know... I think maybe Justin Fry seeks another opportunity um, or Ryan Day advises him to. I just, if you're going to keep guys on the offensive staff, like I think it needs to be Day and Hartline and whoever else sticks around is whoever else sticks around. I'm not devaluing Tony Alford, I but it's like, look, if Brian Hartline's like, hey, I want the play calling and that means I get to overrule Tony and Justin, 
Like, for at least a year, you got to give him that. Because the other two guys just aren't as important. I think Justin Fry is somewhere else next year. I think Parker Fleming gets a... He doesn't even get a, a, a first-class ticket. Like, he gets a bus pass out of Columbus, as far as I'm concerned. And then, yeah, on the defensive side of the ball, those secondary coaches, they really turned things around this year. I, I think they're obviously back. Um, Jim Knowles, progress, progress, progress. You want to keep him around as long as you can, I think. Um, James Laurinaitis deserves a job. And if Larry Johnson does choose to retire, that may benefit Ohio State in a way because then Jim Knowles can find a defensive line coach who is completely in sync with him. I don't think, I think he and Larry Johnson worked well enough together, but the defensive line that we saw was not the the defensive line that Jim Knowles really wants. Like he wants the three three five, or you know he wants the jack position. He he didn't have it this year. Um, it, maybe he gets it in twenty twenty four. But that's all for so far down the road. Um, you know, Chuck, we're seems like we could do three hours, but this was a good therapy session. Even if it wasn't, it didn't feel great. But let's get out of here, man. Let's go drown our sorrows. I mean, now we have to turn around and watch a damn Bengals game without Joe Burrow. I, at some point, the the football karma powers that be, I, I feel like they need to give me something here. I am looking for anything and everything I can find to do around this house so that I don't have to only focus on Jake Browning playing quarterback for the Bengals because I am not on board at all. And I'm, I, I told my son, I said, you can start watching. And then if it stays interesting, maybe I'll jump in. But I sure as hell aren't making a, this is not must see TV for me by any shape or form. Uh, no disrespect. I don't know if it's must see watch TV for Jake Browning's family. <laughs> like, you know I, but um, I don't know. We'll, We'll change it up. We'll come back with a better attitude, hopefully, on Wednesday. Uh, we are a basketball school, after all, so we can get into that. You know, men's and women's. Both teams looking good. Uh, wrestling school, perhaps. I, I can do 15 minutes solo uh, about the wrestling team. We'll look for other outlets, but that's neither here nor there. We're going to get out of here. We're going to regroup and... You know, we'll be back with you guys on Wednesday. I don't know when we're going to go to one pod per week. Probably not next week, but it's coming sooner than later because Ohio State is likely out of the college football playoff discussion. And honestly, they're going to have half a roster played in the Orange Bowl uh, in a month or whatever. So um, we'll see what the rest of the schedule looks like. But one thing is for certain, we will be back on Wednesday. So until then, please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. Hit us up on social. Send us your comments. And until next time, go Bucks.